Samuel chapter 7. If you'll just pardon the sound of my voice, it sounds a little rough tonight. I'm fine. <laughs> and um, we continue the next few weeks to look at the life of David. And actually, we've kind of quietly come into a passage that is critical, very important. With now, not all passages within scripture are important, but this has actually been referred to by a couple different commentators as the climax of David's life and the most crucial theological statement of the Old Testament. And we're looking at 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 4 through 17 tonight. This is where the word of the Lord, the Lord addressed Nathan, the prophet, to tell David some things after David has made it clear to Nathan that he wants to build a temple for the Lord. He's looking around at all the blessings God has given him. He wants to build something that would match and, and, and would honor God. And so the Lord's response is tonight. Why do you think? A little more interaction tonight. I'm going to have some verses. Be ready. I'm going to include some of you at the end tonight to read some verses to kind of tie um, our study in with uh, the promises of Scripture. Why would this be referred to as the most, most crucial theological statement of the Old Testament by some? Now, that may be slightly exaggerated, but it still makes the point. This is a very meaningful passage for the whole of, of, the, of God's Word. Anybody know as you look through that? I say, can we read which statement it is? Mm. And then we can have a little discussion. Well, it would be the whole thing. All the way from, now I know that's a lot, um, from verse 5 all the way to verse 16. But especially, I'll do this, especially verses 8 through 16. Stephanie. Well, I'm thinking if David is saying, I want to build a place of worship for God, and now God is giving his opinion on that, that's pretty significant if God is saying how he wants to be worshipped. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But God turns it around, too, at the same time. Go, go. It's God's promise. Mm. This section. God's promise to to who? In a general sense, you could say all of God's children, but mm -hmm. that would be really general. Yeah, Pam? It's the beginning of the knowledge that through David's line, we will have our Savior. Mm. This, this, is, this is, this passage here is referred, even later on, it's not said in this passage that it's a covenant. But later on in scripture, um, it's made very clear, this is a covenant with God, with David. And what we refer to as the Davidic covenant. Uh, it's as monumental as the Abrahamic covenant. Really, and, uh, and and the same importance as even God giving Moses the law for His people, the Mosaic law. I mean, this is a pivotal, pivotal, excuse me, pivotal moment in Israel's history, and it's all centered around David and what God's doing for him. Now, ultimately, don't misunderstand me. This is this is a worship passage, and it's ultimately centered around God, and David will respond in an appropriate fashion. Um, but there are some just remarkable things that the Lord does here 
in response to David just saying, I want to do something for you, Lord. And the Lord says, well, David, you're not going to be able to do that particular thing, but I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to do something amazing for you that's going to benefit all of, of my people. So as we saw at the end of last week's um, study, beginning of chapter 7, in response to all the blessings David has received from the Lord, um, he they have a capital city, they have the ark now established in the tabernacle, the tent, think of the tent there, that they were given instructions on how to build all the way back in the wall. Um, they have rest from their enemies, victory over um, very stubborn, difficult enemies like the Philistines. God has blessed David with, with many children and all of these things. And he's looking around and saying, Lord, I just want to do something for you. In fact, let's, let's just read verse one again. Now, when the king lived in his house, that's the palace that the Lord established, was able to allow him to build. And the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. The king said to Nathan, the prophet, the first time we hear of Nathan, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar. But the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. David wants to build a temple to house the ark of God's presence. You know, in essence, really, what does David want to do here? He just wants to honor God. If we if I put it this way, you've heard this statement before with a spirit of excellence. He's looking at this tabernacle. And, and folks, this really was, it was a very nice tent, but it was a tent. And if you've ever gone, I'm not trying to equate this with camping by any means. I think I need to turn the volume down on this. I'm hearing an echo. Um, but certainly if you've been camping and you know how easy it is to track dirt in and how you've got the dirt floors and it's more, more difficult to um, keep clean. And even if you're in a tent versus a cabin, you know there's, there's a difference in, in quality as you um, enjoy that time together as, as family. And here David's looking at this beautiful house that he has, and he just wants to honor God with the best of his ability. And that's a good thing, by the way. We should want to do that. But the only thing that we need to be careful of, even when we want to give God a spirit of, of excellence, is to check with him to make sure that's what he wants us to do. And Nathan forgot to do that. It was not a wrong pursuit, but it was not yet in God's timing. And that would come a time where his son would build that. I don't get, want to get ahead of things here. But God is going to, we're going to see in this passage, greatly bless David for a righteous desire for, for true worship and for submission to God's ways. And he would establish with David what will be known eventually as a Davidic covenant. And you think, all the way back in Genesis 49.10, this would fulfill the promise that Jacob gave to his sons, to Judah, actually, um, on his deathbed, where he said um, that uh, out of Judah would come, now I'm paraphrasing here, would come Shiloh, which is probably the best interpretation of that, is, is the one that would come, a very significant figure. And now all of a sudden, here is the fulfillment of that promise all the way back to Jacob, that through Judah, through David, um, that this and many other promises of God would be fulfilled and would be forwarded. One commentator said this, 
just giving you an idea of the importance of this. Through the prophetic pronouncements of this chapter, David is made the founder of the only royal family the Lord would ever sanction in perpetuity. That means continuing, uh, continuing on for eternity. Not only would he become the source of all Israel's uniquely favored dynastic line, but he would become the standard by which his descendants would be judged. We all know the fascination with royalty today, right? In Europe and in Britain and uh, all the, um, so many magazines that follow the prince and, and all these different things. And people have a fascination for, for royalty and for that whole thing. Because it's an ancient form of, of ruling that's been with us for a long time and the history of that. But folks, no ruler, no king or queen that has ever lived receives the promises that David received from God. That's just another level. If you're interested in any royal dynasty, it ought to be this passage ought to thrill us. This is a unique, significant bestowal of promises that would never be repeated, but we're going to see through this at the same time, in a general application, that God has blessings for those today who honor him in the way that he desires. And he will do that. Not in the same way, but there's blessings for us as well. The Lord makes David a house. Let's look at verse 8, and we'll get back to, we'll get back to verse 4 in a minute. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. Violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. That's all the way back from the time of the judges where God's people were being corrected for their rejection of him and all those enemies that afflicted them. He says, no more. I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Father, let us, as we... Um, are reminded again of the significance and importance of this passage. We know that this is in direct application to David, but it also has application for us because our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would come from the line of David and fulfill these promises in a way that no other person from David's line could do. Lord, let us have hope and joy one day, the king from the line of David will come and will reign forever. And that in your grace that you allowed an, an imperfect man, we know that, to yet experience this most profound, important blessing. And because he's described as having a heart for you, desiring to worship you, to honor you, and, and to obey you. And so, Lord... At the same time, let us be encouraged that as we, even though imperfectly seek to obey you and honor you, that you will have blessings for us. And one day we will all worship the king and serve him forever, and that will be the greatest blessing. There are blessings to come, certainly in the future, because of this promise. So let us be encouraged and um, influenced to serve you more faithfully. 
do this promise that you gave David. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The Lord will make David a house. And the Lord, first of all, has prerogative in the manner that he wants to be worshipped. And David desired proper worship, didn't he? He had strong desires for honoring the Lord and worship, and Nathan agreed with him. That sounds like a great idea, David. Yeah, go. what would be wrong with that? Go ahead and do that. Except, again, Nathan didn't check with God, and we've gone through that already. But the best of intentions, folks, even the best of our intentions and desires, must be screened uh, through God first. Whatever we want to do for him. And so God comes to Nathan that evening, verse 4. And even though David desired proper worship, God says, Nathan, remember, I'm the one that will decide the details of how I want to be worship, of proper worship. We may have desires for how we want to worship God, but God in the end gets to decide, verse 4. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? Well, I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges? I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? God had not indicated that he desired David to build him a temple. And out of all the ways that the people of God had disobeyed him down through the years, God says, one way they had disobeyed me was by not making me a temple. That was something I never required of my people, Nathan. And I am, basically, you could say this, God's saying here, the tabernacle, the tent, the plans that I gave for my people in worship are sufficient. They're enough. Now, that doesn't mean that one day that, God won't allow his people to build a temple, and we'll see more of that soon. But the point is, is that ultimately God decides how he wants to be worshipped. Even from well-meaning, sincere people, we have to submit to what God wants. And I'm sure Nathan, when he heard that, said, oh, sorry, Lord. Yeah, I should have prayed first. I should have sought, sought your face and asked that. But in the midst of this, David, or the Lord, excuse me, blesses those who follow his plan for worship. And God's plan for his servant included great blessing. What, what grace that God, I just, as I continue to read through this passage, the word grace continues to go through my mind. That God would say, you know what, I don't need a palace, Nathan. But I'm just going to heap blessing after blessing upon my servant for his desire to honor me in the right way. He wants to give me something, and I'm going to give him even greater things. I mean, that's just God's grace and mercy. And folks, don't you think that for us, when we desire to honor God, and we want to, we desire to want to exalt God with our lives, that he will pour out blessings upon us too. Not, not that the Christian life is easy, and we should expect a life of ease as we try to serve him. You know what I mean by that. But it's not all a drudgery and a dreariness. There's blessings for us when we're obedient to God. But these blessings, however, this is amazing and great blessings. And so let's look at verse 8. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture 
from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. You know, another time this morning, what is God saying here? God's saying, Nathan, you tell David, I've written his story. I've been involved in all the details. Everything that he's gone through has been because of my hand. And yet I've also provided him blessings. And during the entire roller coaster of events that David had to go through in his life, what is David saying? What is God saying here? The Lord, that he's been with him the entire time. And he saw him through all those difficult things. And he provided blessings for him. In God's timing, he gave victory to David. I'm sure David kind of wondered in those caves. And um, even as Saul was pursuing him, and it got really close a couple times. And as he was eventually living on the land owned by the Philistines, I'm sure David maybe a couple times was tempted to doubt. Is God really with me right now? We have some of those psalms where he says, Lord, where are you? And God says, I've been with you the whole time, David. Is that not encouragement for us today? Whatever you're going through, whatever darkness you're facing, whatever emotion your emotions are telling you, God says to us as well, to each of us, I'm with you. I'm with my children. And I have purposes for you. I'm the one writing your story. And in time, you'll see how this all comes together. But then God, uh, amazingly, what does he say here at the end of verse 9? He's cut off all your enemies from before you. But I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. God says here, I'm also choosing to make David one of the central figures of all world history, one of the great ones. I mean, that's, I'm sure David never expected to hear that. That's beyond anything that he could have ever imagined. God is doing this because David has a heart for him and desires to honor him and loves him. God says, I'm going to bless you. Nobody's ever going to forget your name, David. And we know that to be true even today is through Scripture. His testimony continues on. Well, God's going to give specific details, though, about how he's going to be great. So verse 10 and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them. That has the idea of someone that's with loving care, taking care of a plant. Some of our boys have some bean plants that they're very proud of at our house, and they check them every morning. And um, there's even sometimes a little bit of competition about whose bean plant is the tallest at the moment. Uh, but I, they're, at the same time, they're excited about these things. And one of our boys in particular, I'll let him tell you, but he's, he's been so excited about seeing those plants grow that he's actually gone outside and found some. He thinks they're weeds. I'm not sure that they're weeds or not. But if they're weeds, they're really nice-looking weeds. And he's planted them, and now they're growing. And they have taken careful, tender time and, and care with these plants <coughs> to make sure that they would grow and uh, be fruitful and be beautiful. It really is the picture here that God is saying of his people Israel, through David, he would provide blessings. Remember how God had said recently that he was blessing David so that David could be a benefit to the whole nation. And this is the fulfillment of that and how that's going to be accomplished. 
He will plant them and he will make them stable and secure. I will appoint a place for my people <laughs> Israel. Um, that place is really the promised land that as they continue to inhabit that area, God says, I will make your life stable and I will give you rest from your enemies. And I will provide you that through David. They will have rest from their enemies in a manner never experienced before. If you read through the book of Judges and how God had to use the enemies to constantly terrorize his people to bring them back to him. God says, now that David's here, I'm going to give you rest. You won't have to worry about that anymore. Now, we do have to have a caveat with that is that God's people unfortunately did turn away from him in their continued history. And even throughout the books of the first Kings uh, and throughout the Old Testament, we still have situations where God is having to use enemies to bring Israel into submission with him again. And so what does that tell us, in effect, about this promise? Certainly, from what we've learned so far about what God's doing in David's life, God did give Israel rest from their enemies. Just having rest and victory over the Philistines had to have been a relief for these people. I mean, you know, Goliath and Samson and all the day they killed King Saul. That victory over the Philistines certainly put these people at rest. But at the same time, there does seem to be a future fulfillment in place with this because God's people have not experienced the full rest that he had intended for them because of their disobedience. So there seems to be at the same time a future aspect of that. But the primary application is that through David and God's blessings of David, it will bless his people. And I will give you, oh, uh, verse 11, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Then God says in the second part of 11 there, an even more wonderful turn of events. And this is so beautiful. Sometimes we can miss this. David wanted to build the Lord a house. What does God say he's going to do for David? And I will appoint a place, excuse me, verse 11, second part of verse 11. Moreover, the Lord declares to you, David, that the Lord will make you a house. David wanted to make the Lord a house. God says, it's not time yet, David. I'm going to make you a house. And it's going to be a lasting place. It's going to be a dynasty. Your lineage is going to go on forever. Because he's already given him a palace. He can't be talking about a physical place for him to live. <clears throat> and so David... The Lord will provide for David what David was not allowed to provide for the Lord. Grace, love, and mercy. His steadfast love toward people that, that show love to him and honor him. It's a beautiful thing here. Well, not only will he provide for David and for Israel in their present circumstances, he will also provide for his servants a glorious future, a great future. And we already pointed out how in some of these verses in 10 and 11, that victory over enemies does have a futuristic um, aspect that has not been realized yet. In other words, there would come one from David that would bring permanent rest from all the enemies, that would deal with all of them once and for all. It doesn't Hebrews talk about yet there is a season, there is a time of rest, a place of rest still for God's people. 
And we're still awaiting the final fulfillment of what is what God promised Israel here. Israel's still awaiting that. We as children of the king are still awaiting that. But then he continues to talk about more future blessings that he's going to pour out on David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Let's go back then and look at this in a little more detail. Who would be the fulfillment of these promises? Verse 12, when your days are fulfilled, you lie down with your fathers. So this is going to be after David's gone. So it's not going to be him. I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, his sons, his lineage. And I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name. It says, I will be a father to him when he commits iniquity. I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Okay. Who is this? Who is God referring to that will be the most direct, immediate fulfillment of this promise? Solomon, yeah, it don't sound like Saul. But no, it's not Saul. Solomon, yes, very good. Uh, and and uh, we we know this uh, from from reading First Kings that Solomon was the one that God chose to. David was a man of war. Um, Solomon was a man of peace, and in Solomon's reign, he they had for a while complete victory over their enemies. Israel was as much at as, at rest during Solomon's reign as it ever experienced. And that was a fulfillment of what God said to Solomon here. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him. And unfortunately, after all of the great blessings that God poured out on Solomon, that the wisest man that ever lived, he turned from God, and God did have to discipline him. And there were many kings that came after him from David's line that had to be disciplined. And ultimately, uh, the Assyrians had to take away the northern kingdom, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon uh, took away the southern kingdom and carried them off into exile. God was serious when he said, I will bring discipline when they commit iniquity. <clears throat> but even with that, he would still be faithful to his promise to David. My steadfast love will not depart from him. And God continues to live up to that, uh, even today. We can see, well, I'm getting ahead of myself here. So if Solomon, then, is not the final fulfillment, well, then who is? I, you guys know this, I know, but let's, let's, let's look at the passage here. Can Solomon establish the throne of his kingdom forever? No, that doesn't sound like something Solomon can accomplish. Um, Verse 16, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, and your throne shall be established forever. Again, that's not something that Solomon can accomplish. And so this looks forward to someone that would come from David's lineage at some point later on. 
And we all know, right? The ultimate fulfillment of these promises lays not within Solomon, lies not within Solomon, but Jesus Christ. And we see that through the New Testament. And in fact, I want to take some time here just quickly, and I'm going to give you some passages. We're going to look at these and see the fulfillment of God's promises to David in their connection with Jesus Christ. So let's see. Leslie, would you read Acts 13, 22 through 23? Rick, would you take Matthew 1, verse 1? That'd be an easy one. Arden, would you take Luke 1, verse 32 through 35? Um, Kurt, would you do Hebrews 3, 3 through 4? And Tom, would you do Hebrews 1, 8? Let's see. Gary, would you do 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 25? I guess I skipped you, Carol. Um, Ephesians 5, 5. And then uh, Paul, would you do Acts chapter 2, verse 30? And Floyd, would you do Acts 13, 23? These are these um, connections I'm going to make to New Testament promises to what David, Lord gave David, are obviously biblical and they're found right in Scripture. But I did get some help from uh, this commentary in particular, the New American Commentary by Robert Bergen. This is one of those commentaries that um, is very helpful, that, that takes time to answer questions that people have about the text and not just smooth over them, but, but give plausible um, answers and things to questions, and it also ties in the fulfillment with the New Testament. I found this commentary very helpful. So six ways that through the Davidic covenant that were just described here, uh, that it will be fulfilled in Jesus. First of all, Jesus is the son of David. Matthew 1, verse 1. Rick? Book of the generation, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. All right. So he's a legitimate son of David. He's able to fulfill the promise. But Acts 13, 22 through 23. Leslie. Is it 22 and 23 and 32? Acts 13, 22 through 23. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man of my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man also, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Okay, I believe that's Paul. So says that right? Paul makes very clear the connection from the Davidic covenant to Jesus Christ himself. There's no guesswork involved here. It's clear. Jesus would be the son of David. But number two, Jesus would be born of a virgin. And it, it seems from what Luke 1, verses 32 through 35 gives us, that there is even a tie-in with the virgin birth and the Davidic promise. So go ahead, Arden. He will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So Luke ties in the virgin birth with the fulfillment of um, Jesus born as God's son. And it's a fulfillment of this promise as well. Jesus would build a house for God. 
Hebrews 3, 3 through 4. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. Okay, Solomon would get a lot of credit for building the temple. But Jesus, and the scripture is clear, Jesus will be the one that builds the final kingdom. And we have, it's, it's controversial, so we're not for sure, but there's some indication that there might be a temple in at least the millennial kingdom um, that might be symbolic, certainly not sacrifices offered um, for atonement. Jesus already did that. There might be a symbolic temple, and if that's the case, that Jesus could actually build a temple for God. But here we have the fulfillment of that from the Davidic covenant. The author of Hebrews ties a lot of these together, as we're going to see next. Jesus would possess the throne, Hebrews 1.8. But unto the Son, he says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Okay. He will, Jesus will possess the authority of the throne for all eternity. He's the ultimate fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Jesus will possess an eternal kingdom, not just the authority of the throne, but the eternal aspects of a kingdom. It will last forever. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 25. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. But he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. Okay, there, there's another time with victory over all of his enemies. Ephesians 5, 5. But you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Okay, I was, I was like, I've heard that first part. Wait a minute. But it's the kingdom of Christ the eternal kingdom that's described there in a, a very practical sense that again has ties back into this promise that David received. And even Jesus resurrection, Jesus would rise from the dead in Acts two, verse 30. Therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that if the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Very good. And 1323, Summarize that. I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come up from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Now, in, in a primary sense, he's talking about Solomon, but the New Testament writers also took this to be a prophecy of the resurrection. And uh, it's referred to here by the apostles in the book of Acts that one truly would be raised up from the literal, from the dead, to be king forever. So some significant aspects. Even Jesus himself, we won't look into the scripture. Jesus claimed he would build a temple. He was talking about the temple of his own body. Still the idea of a temple. 
Jesus claimed to possess an eternal throne, and Jesus claimed to possess an imperishable kingdom. So here's one man that says, I want our God. I want to serve him. I want to do, I'm going to submit to his writing of my story. And I want to lead people in right worship to him. And I want him to be honored because he is worthy of honor. And we read all of those Psalms, right, that David wrote. You, you really catch David's heart when you read the Psalms. Not so much, <clears throat> although we know he has a heart after God. It's talked about in First and Second Samuel. You really see his heart in the Psalms. And here's a man that truly had a heart for God. And he just says, God, I just want to honor you with a spirit of excellence, the best that I can do. And God says, I appreciate that. I've got my own plans, but because of your desire for that, I'm going to heap blessing after blessing upon you. And the very Messiah, the Savior of the world, David, is going to come through your life, and he's going to reign forever. Now, do you think David expected any of that? Absolutely not. He just said to Nathan, I want to build a house. God says, I'm going to build you a house, and it's going to be beyond anything you could ever imagine. And even to us today, as we see the fulfillment in the New Testament, we still marvel, we should marvel. So folks, should we expect the kind of blessings that David had that were specific to him as king? Well, obviously, these were unique to him. I understand that. But is there blessings in an applicational sense for any child of God who wants to submit to God and worship him in a right way? And honor him. Is there is there blessings for folks like that today? We don't see a lot of honoring God in this dark world. And God will use that sort of pure motive, that desire to want God and Jesus Christ to be magnified. Certainly, God will bless and God will use that for his purposes. That we can count on as we read the blessings. He poured out on David. And who knows? You might ask God for something you want to do for him. And he might do it back to you tenfold. That's God's doing. That's his business. But he's just that kind of gracious, merciful God. He did that for us. Father, it's remarkable what you gave David that he was. This was not what he was expecting by any means. You'd already given so much and he was overwhelmed. And yet you poured it, you poured on the blessings, the ultimate blessing of a savior that would come through his lineage that would well, one day we still await his final reign and we look forward to that and we long for that. And so in the midst of this important passage, we say, come Lord Jesus, establish perfectly, ultimately fulfill what you promised your servant David. And establish your kingdom forever. We pray for that. But in the meantime, let us be encouraged. That it's not just David who you show grace and mercy to, but it's all of your children who sincerely desire, not perfectly, Lord, but none of us are perfect in this. But we can say, we want to be used. We want to honor you. We want to serve you well. There's blessings for that, too. And I pray that our folks would be encouraged, even this week as we think on these things. And in this season of prayer, that you would provide us answers in your timing, 
We have things we'd like to see done that are sincere desires, and yet, Lord, we submit to your, your will, and yet we pray that you would work mightily in this little church and give us much fruit. Um, help us to be fruitful until Jesus returns. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.